Hey guys, this is Naeem and you've reached the Mosaic Church Podcast. So excited that you're part of our listening community and I'd love for you to be even more connected. So check out our website. There's more content there and there's more opportunities for you to get connected in our ministries and events as well. Also, love for you to share this content. If this is blessed to you, I know that God wants to use you to bless other people with it. So share this podcast, if you will. Lastly, would you consider supporting this ministry? This is made possible by other people's generosity, and I'd love for you to pay it forward. Join us to reclaim the message and the movement of Jesus together. So would you consider giving to this ministry? I know that God is able to do immeasurably more through us when we come together. Thank you so much. God bless you and enjoy. How are we this morning? Yeah. What is up, man? I'm so uh, excited to be here with y'all. I think uh, whenever I come here, I feel like y'all have like the greatest um, just sermon series of all time. And so I was actually just this morning, it's dangerous to kind of do things on the fly, but I feel like y'all are family. And so I did something back there while I was waiting on the fly. And I thought about this, like, why though? Now, anybody actually ever remember having one of these computers? I'm going to age myself. Yes. You know, I think it was a Windows, like Gateway 2000 or something. Y'all remember that? Yeah. Like we were so cool. I played Age of Empires on that bad boy and did Landline and and we did all that, that kind of stuff. But I began to think, like, y'all ever have those why though moments? Right? Like, okay, you know, I'm a football person, so, you know, like the come on man moments. Like, I, I thought of some um, why though moments. Like, like here's, one, here's a good why though moment. When you text somebody who you just met, you love, you're like, man, y'all are, y'all are cool. Like, I feel like we could be really good friends. And you text them for the first time and you get the green bubble back. Why though? Why though? Okay, the three Android people, we still love y'all. We still love y'all. All right, uh, here, here's another one. Like when I moved to Charlotte, being a Panthers fan. <laughs> listen, guys, guys, listen. I know I, I believe in Sam. I just want you to know I believe in Sam Darnold. I think he can do it. I think he can do it. Um, but we'll see. I'm not quite sure. Here's another one. When somebody says, you know what? I think LeBron is the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Why? <laughs> Why, though? I'm supposed to here to, to create unity instead I'm creating disunity. This, this is not good. Okay, have you ever thought about this? When, when, some, when a, like a projectile flies at your head and somebody else says, heads up. <laughs> Why though? Do, you, do we actually, I think this is what is actually happening. We actually want people to get pelted in the head. We actually want to see that. Like, like why though? And this is one that, that just I cannot fathom at all. Breakfast for dinner. Y'all can, y'all can all hang out with my wife because she is all about breakfast for dinner. Now, now here's the thing. Here's the thing. The why, though, only finds its meaning when we understand the why behind it. Right? Like, I'm sure there's actually a really good reason why an individual has an Android device. I'm still going to wait to figure that out, but I just got to believe in the redemption of humanity, and it'll be able to happen. Uh, no, but, but there's a really good reason. And so here's what I want to suggest right off of the beginning for everybody, that, that the way that God has, has written, has inspired, and has given us the scriptures um, all has immense intentionality. 
There's, there's, there's an immense why behind almost everything. In fact, everything that is written in Scripture. Like, think about this, that there is actually a limited amount of room in the, pace, in the pages of Scripture, and yet God had the intention to pen some things down and some things not. So I think what this means for us is we got to figure out the why behind the things that we do. The older I get, the more I realize that sometimes the, the greatest um, tragedies that take place are when I don't know the why behind what's actually happening. Uh, and so actually our friend Kristen was just up here. Uh, I was just talking to her. You know, y'all, she, she and her husband just celebrated 11 years, uh, their anniversary. Can we give it up for them? big deal, 11 years. Now, my wife Britt and I, uh, we celebrated 12 in August, and so we're kind of right there. And one of the things that we enjoy uh, doing every time uh, an anniversary comes up is we enjoy kind of going back and just thinking about uh, those early memories of, of being, uh, you know, engaged and newlyweds. And one of the first memories that I have is living in a uh, tiny, we lived in Sacramento, California at the time, no kids. Uh, I think at this point, we still didn't have our first dog, which was amazing. Um, and <laughs> the dog, man, my goodness. Uh, uh, and, uh, <laughs> and in this tiny one-bedroom apartment, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, my mom and dad are coming to visit. Anybody ever have that panic moment? You're like newly married, like your parents are going to come and visit. And so, uh, you know, for my wife and in the Indian community and like Indian families, I think every family, honestly, but definitely uh, very intimately in the Indian family, food is a very important deal. It's, it's a big deal, right? And my wife knew enough to know how important food was. And so one day my wife asked me, she said, babe, what is your uh, mom and dad's uh, favorite food that they eat to my reply was simply whatever mom makes because <laughs> it's all good like my mom does not make something that isn't just flame you know and my wife did not find that humorous there was <laughs> nothing funny about that and so she goes no for real I really need to know what what it is that you know and I, I'm trying to think I'm like well honestly it's really on everything that mom makes but I'm um, like chicken curry I'm a big fan of chicken curry I love me some chicken curry you know and um, in my mind, when I say chicken curry, I have a picture. I have a thought. I, I have the hours that it took for my mom to make the chicken curry. I have the smells. I have the waking up in the morning and, and smelling the aroma of the chicken curry. Like, I, I have this mental, emotional, I would even claim spiritual <laughs> experience with this incredible food with chicken curry. And so I, and my wife was like, she was hyped. She was like, I got it. Like, we're, when mom and dad come, we're going to make them chicken. I'm, I, I, I was like, baby, you need help? She's like, no, slow your roll. I, I'm going to make, I'm like, are you sure? She's like, by the way, don't ever ask your wife, are you sure? Uh, these, these are not the things that she should ask. Was, okay, cool. She's got it. And so I left. I left. I don't know what I did. I know I wasn't with her. And I remember it was like minutes before, like, I think I actually went to the airport to pick up my parents and we're coming home and uh, my wife had been cooking. First of all, I was worried because she started cooking 45 minutes before, you know, because it took 45 minutes to get to the uh, Sacramento airport. So I'm like, wait, babe, shouldn't you have started earlier? And just, 
not good questions to ask when you're uh, newly married. And so I'm thinking maybe she had been working. I didn't see it before. She probably marinated all the chicken the night before. Like, in my mind, I've got all of this reality that is taking place. Well, um, long story short, I come back, and I knew things were not going to turn out very well when I saw in the trash a package of Minute Maid rice. (laughs) Ashley knows. Minute Maid rice. I mean, y'all, minute made rice. I mean, you know, so, and at this point, I'm trying to think, how am I going to rescue this situation? Uh, And then I looked down, and it got worse, because on the countertop, there was five-minute curry, bam, (laughs) exclamation point. Five-minute curry, bam? The only bam that's happening is the bam that my mom is going to give me upside the head for feeding her five-minute curry. I'm like, this is not good. <laughs> we sat down, and my dad, my dad is a very straightforward, one of the most loving people you will ever meet, but also very straightforward. And, and, and Brent was just so excited about this, you know, uh, minute made rice in five minutes, six minutes, an entire meal in six minutes, right there. And she's so excited about it. And I remember she's like waiting for my, because my dad, like there's really not food that my dad doesn't like. And uh, she said, um, dad, how is it? Like, 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 don't you love it? Like, isn't it amazing? And my dad looked at the food, and he looked up at my wife, and he looked back at the food, and then he looked at me, and then he looked back at the food, and I swear my dad didn't pick up his head for the rest of the, the, rest of, the, rest of the meal. Now, today, after that, I cried. Like, I cried for a couple of years, it took some time and therapy to navigate them. But I just want y'all to know, my, my wife makes the best Indian food. Now, chicken curry, I mean, hopefully I have it waiting for me when I come home. I mean, she is just killing it. Um, but 12 years later, that entire story would have never been the story that it was if that story didn't take place around a table. And if on that table there wasn't 60-second rice. And I'm, and I'm Indian. I should be able to figure out how many seconds are in. Five minutes. I can't. It skipped a generation for me. <laughs> Insert amount of seconds for the minutes. Somebody probably knows it. And then all of the, the five-minute chicken curry, right? Like, like right there. And the people that sat around it. And isn't it so incredible that food that the smell, that the experience, the, 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 the hilarious nature of that entire story right now, almost in a, like, like even as I was telling it, y'all, like it's almost like I went back to who Joel was 12 years ago. I can almost picture like what my wife wore. I can almost picture the luggage that I had to go and pick up at Sacramento Airport. Like, like isn't it amazing that around this table with this food, that I'm able to remember something. And isn't it also so amazing that as I remember how what something was in the past, it helps me to create a juxtaposition for how things are for me today. You ain't ever seen 60-second rice in my shelves today. (laughs) And isn't it also amazing that now that I have this past reality past remembrance, 
that speaks to my present reality, that it gives me a vision for what the future could be. In uh, Luke chapter 22, Jesus is coming on what will be one of the most um, crucial moments of his life and ministry. It is an epic moment. And when we say epic, I want you to think of every bit of tragedy and devastation met with every bit of victory and celebration. And how those things meet is truly a mystery. And this is how uh, Luke starts his account. Luke 22, starting in verse 14 through 21. I'll read it for you all. He starts with this, when the hour came. It's Halloween time, and so around this time you'd hear, dun, dun, dun. But interesting, I would think when the hour came, the next thing is the road to Golgotha, and the cross, and the whipping, and, and the cat of nine's tails. Like, I think all of that would have taken place, but the very next words, when the hour came, is, and he reclined at the table. What do you do when you're reclining? You're just having fun. And the apostles were with him. And then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I think this is so key. Jesus knew what was coming ahead of him. I mean, he said, for, before I suffer. And then he says, for I tell you, and I want us to hold on to this. This is, this is vitally important. For I tell you, this is Jesus, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And then he took the bread and he gave thanks and he, and he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, the hand of the one betraying me is at the table with me. You see, the first thing I want to say here is, of all the things that Jesus could have told his disciples to remember, it's actually quite brilliant that the thing that he asks them to remember is associated with the meal. Sometimes we think of the Last Supper, we think of uh, communion. These are the Bible kind of terms to describe sometimes what we do uh, at church. But I want us to, to wipe away some of that like churchy lingo language that makes us think of like, you know, those little, and I don't know, we probably have the wafer things, so I'm not trying to hate on the wafer things, but you know what I mean, like little baby wafer things and the little like, you know, grape juice that's not even Welch's grape juice. We don't know what kind of grape juice it is. <laughs> But ain't even the good stuff. Like, you know, like, like that's kind of what we think of. And I'm not, I'm just saying, like, just be real, right? Like, this is not the picture of the meal that Jesus has in mind when he describes this meal that he then says that we're supposed to do in what remembrance of him. I think this is important. It's not to detract and to take away what's actually taking place here. I think we're still supposed to do that, but this is almost like pregame to the actual game. I'm just telling y'all. This is kind of like, oh, by the way, let me do this so that, catch this, 
Every time we sit at our dinner table with our families and with our children, with our loved ones, hey, maybe you want the people that you hate. (laughs) We're reminded of the Jesus who would go to the cross. We're reminded of the immense love of Christ that he would share a meal with his own enemy, the one that would betray him. This is what Jesus asks for us. So I think it's quite brilliant that Jesus doesn't give us some unattainable bar for us that that would elicit remembrance. It's not like Jesus is like, by the way, I want y'all to uh, do a triathlon. That is how you will remember me. Do a triathlon. Anybody do triathlons in here? No, there's a reason why. <laughs> like, like, he doesn't set an unattainable bar, y'all. He's like, when you eat, humanity has 100% success rate at eating. <laughs> like, when you eat, this is so, like, 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 can Jesus make the bar any lower? <laughs> when you eat, make it a priority. And every time you eat, remember me. So, so why? Why though? Well, what is this meal supposed to do for us? What is this meal supposed to elicit inside of us? I just want to give us three very simple reasons why you and I should participate in, in doing communion, should participate in eating the meal. And again, I want us to think of the ancient world when we think about a meal, a full spread table with bread and chicken curry. No, I'm kidding. There's probably not chicken curry, but like Middle Eastern food all over the spread, you know, like, 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 like a full spread with wine and drink and, and all the good stuff. This is the picture that Jesus has. In fact, it's the historical thing that Jesus is doing with the Passover. So, so three things on why we do communion. Number one, communion reminds us of who we were, who we are, and who we are becoming. Communion reminds us who we were, who we are, and who we are becoming. Approve it, Joel, I will. He, Jesus was taking the Passover meal. The Passover meal was so vital. Turn back to Exodus chapter 12 and read through that entire narrative someday. Super important. In Exodus 12, the people of Israel are in captivity, in slavery. They're under the subjugation of Egypt and Pharaoh. By the way, at the time of Jesus, the people are in a type of captivity. They're underneath the subjugation and imprisonment of uh, uh, Caesar and of Rome. Do you see the correlation that's taking place here? Mm. And it was at Passover... That, that, that Yahweh, the God, said to Moses and to all the Israelites... This is what you got to do. Go and eat some good meat. Go and have some bread, but take blood and and post it on your post uh, outside of your door so that when the angel of death would come, the angel of death would pass over your house and show you mercy. And what are you doing while the angel of death is passing over? You are sitting at a table, reclining, and eating some good food. You see, when Jesus says this to the disciples, when he is enacting this practice, the Israelites, the people of God at that time, would instantly, it is not possible for them not to do this, would instantly remind themselves of their story. Where were we? What did God do to deliver us from this place? Oh my goodness, where am I right now? 
Well, what are the things that are, that are hurting in my life? What are the things that are painful in my life? What are the things that, that are anxiety-ridden inside of my life? You see, Jesus, after the Passover feast, would, in fact, go on a road to the cross. And there would be a sacrifice, but it would be Jesus himself. So that sin and death, the greater enemy than Pharaoh ever could or would be, than Rome ever would or could be, than Caesar could ever be, the greater enemy could be vanquished by the blood of Jesus himself. So that today, when you and I participate in this meal, when we give our hearts over in allegiance to King Jesus, sin and death are forced to, guess what, pass over us as well. And this is why we do communion. What is the situation and the circumstance that you are in today? Sadly, I'm worried that we have become a people more and more that are forgetful people. We have more access to information than we ever have in our lifetime. (laughs) And yet, we're slower to understand, I think, than we've ever been in any other time period. Why? Because we have detached ourselves from the history of the people of God. We've detached ourselves from from where God has brought us out of. Y'all, one of the greatest spiritual practices that you and I could do today is look back into our story to find one glimmer of hope of the gospel. And it is there, I promise you. And allow that truth to inform your present reality that will give you hope for the future, no matter what the future holds. Here's number two. Um, in In a way, communion fills us and it forms us. When we sit down at the table, you know, my children are always hungry. <laughs> Y'all, they're only 10, 8, and 6 right now. The baby's 18 months old, and she's always hungry. I'm like, what is going on? When you sit at the table, I want us to think about this. How do we come to the table to eat a meal? Have you ever had those hunger pains? Like, man, it's been a little bit since I've had some food. Like, like, I could go for something right now. You've been hungry long enough. You're like, you know exactly what it is that you could go for. There is a, a longing. There is a, a hunger. There is almost a little bit of pain <laughs> before we sit at the table. Now, what happens when you take that first bite of something really, really good? Physically, what happens? It's almost like in a split second, that, that moment of pain turns into uh, just a split second of pleasure. <laughs> God, that was good. I-, I wanted that. Like every time I'm in Chicago and I get me a deep dish pizza. Mmm. Okay, New York. <laughs> okay, New York. My next point was, okay, New York. <laughs> that was good. Like, like, isn't that like, so this is also quite incredible. That even if it's a thing that you despise, you're like, oh, wait, but we got New York style pizza now. That would fill me up. Like, like, what is happening physically inside of us is actually supposed to elicit, mirror, resemble a spiritual reality. 
spiritually what's taking place is, remember what Jesus said, when you drink of the cup, think of the blood that was spilled. When you eat of the bread, think of the body that was broken. If you think of those things, those things naturally take us to what? Did Jesus' body remain broken? Nah. Did, did Jesus' blood spill aimlessly for no reason, ending in utter death? Nah. He rose again from the grave. He reigns victor- victorious. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that he sits right now at the right hand of the Father in the same way that physical food fills us, nourishes us. In a moment, it takes away the pain and gives us a, a, some ease and, and, and some pleasure in the same way when we do communion, when we sit at the table, when we remember the goodness of the risen King Jesus. We're, spill, we're filled spiritually. Communion, it, it fills us. And not only fills us, but it forms us, it directs us. We can't think of this without thinking of the cross. There's this theological term. It's called cruciformity. And what it means is a life that is formed by the cross. I just want you all to know right now, um, the cross, today we can wear it as jewelry, right? Put it as earrings in our ears, like got T-shirts with it. In the ancient world, this is the equivalent to walking around with an electric chair around your neck or lethal injection T-shirt. You know, it took 400 years, historically, 400 years from the death of Jesus, and it wasn't until at least a decade after uh, Constantinople, like, um, it was 400 years until they would even do iconography of the cross. Only Jesus in his death and victory could take a symbol of utter defeat and turn it into sign and symbol of total victory. And so, in a way, the way that our lives are formed is is to be formed around the reality of the cross, and the cross takes us through a journey. One of the most important prepositions throughout the Old Testament is the preposition through. The people of Israel got to go through the Red Sea. Uh, The the people of Israel, they got to go through the wilderness. In the New Testament, it was necessary for Jesus to go through Samaria in John chapter 4 to meet the Samaritan woman. Here's the idea. We want to go around or over. But yet the biblical principle, yet the reality of life actually requires us to go through the journey. And the meaning, the growth, the sanctification is somehow found even in the midst of the pain of going through. Why? Because even in that, our hearts and our lives and our beings are shaped in a way around the cross. And in the same way we know that those three days were not the end of the story for Jesus, we know that whatever it is that we're walking through is not the end of the story for the lover of Jesus. Number three, communion invites us to participate in the life and the work of Jesus. This is what uh, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. Now remember, we're now talking decades 
after uh, Jesus has uh, died and risen again. We're talking decades afterwards. Um, you know, there's hype. And hype has a way of fading. But hope, hope has a, long, a lasting legacy. So this is what Paul says. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. Some of this is going to sound very familiar. On the night when, I, when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup. And after supper, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then, then after he quotes what Jesus himself says, this is what Paul says. For as often, he's saying this to a church, he could have been saying this to Mosaic right now, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the defeat of Jesus? Nah. You proclaim the, the pain that we experience on earth? Nah. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. How in the world does a dead man come? Because he ain't dead no more. This act of proclaiming is simply telling the story of Jesus. And when you and I tell the story of Jesus, we've got to tell the whole story of Jesus. Don't leave nothing out. Because all of it, it comes to this climactic moment when Jesus returns. And he promises us that he will return again. And one of the best ways that you and I can participate in the life and the work of Jesus is to tell the story of Jesus. And the way we tell the story of Jesus is, y'all, so simple. Tell your story. What is your story? Where is the pain point and where is that, that, that moment that the sovereignty and majesty and goodness of Jesus intersects that pain point and gives you hope when everything felt hopeless? Tell that story. But also tell the story of the greatest joys that you've ever experienced, of the greatest cel celebratory moments you've ever had. And talk about how even in those moments you experienced the goodness of God. Tell your story, and your story is wrapped up in the story of Jesus. Just a few verses later, Paul ends this section in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty three, And this is what he says, and this is what I want to leave you all with. Why do we do this? Three things, right? One, communion reminds us of who we are, who we were, who we are, and who we're becoming. Communion fills us and forms us, and it's an act of proclaiming and telling the story of Jesus. And all of this comes together and compels us to do this one thing. This is what Paul says, therefore. So therefore is there for a reason. In light of all these other things that he's just said, therefore, my brothers and sisters, if you come together, nah. When you come together to eat, welcome one another. Maybe one of the greatest tragedies that is taking place, not only in the church, but in the world today, is the amount of hurt and division even around tables. And I have this strong conviction 
that the people of God that have experienced the victory of Jesus are the one thing on the face of humanity that can present a winsome witness for the world. Actually, unity, even in the midst of some diverse opinions, is totally possible because of our love and affection for King Jesus. So when we come to the table, when we do communion, we do it with a heart that longs to welcome each other. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you, one, for giving us something so simple and so easy as eating, as a way to remember you. Thank you that, um, that you're so thoughtful and kind to give us exactly what to remember as we come to the table. And so, Lord, I pray that as we remember you, we remember your life and your death and your burial and your resurrection and your ascension, that we would be reminded that the victorious King Jesus would come back to claim his people. So, Lord, while we wait in eager anticipation for you, let it be true of us that every time we come to the table, every time we break bread, every time we drink, drink, every time we're just hanging with our people, that our hearts and our minds and our spirits would be pricked with that remembrance that we can celebrate because of what you have done and we can invite others to join in that celebration as well. Lord, we trust you and we love you. It's in your name we pray. Thanks for listening to this message from Mosaic Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. For more audio and video content, visit us at mosaicchurch.tv.